Hey everybody, welcome to our 10 a.m. online gathering. It's obviously snowing outside and so we had to cancel our in-person, but we're blessed to be able to have the technology uh, to do this online and to still uh, bless you with the teaching. So if you have your Bibles, you can get those out and turn to the book of John. If you're brand new, we've been going verse by verse through the book of John. And this morning, we're going to be looking at John chapter 18, verses 39 through chapter 19, verse 22. Let me pray for us. But before I pray for us, uh, let's, let's keep in mind where we're at. Jesus has been arrested. He's had this... Um, mockery of a trial before the Jewish religious leaders. And now he has been uh, standing before Pilate. Uh, Pilate can't find anything wrong with him. And so he sends him to Herod. Uh, Herod can't find anything wrong with him. Herod beats him up, uh, mocks him, sends him back to Pilate. And so here we are uh, in chapter 18, verse 39. And we're going to pick up where, where Pilate's like, what do I do with Jesus now? So let me pray for us when we get started. God, we thank you for uh, the opportunity, Lord, to just spend some time with you. Lord, even as it's snowing uh, and, and it's beautiful outside, I'm, I'm just reminded how uh, you are an incredible God. And, and Lord, when it's snowing or... Uh, Lord, when we see something, uh, just anything, whether it's in nature or, 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 or just wherever it may be, and, and it just overwhelms us, Lord, it just points to you. Uh, so, Lord, just remind us that you're sovereign, you're in control. Lord, thank you for the ability uh, to have this gathering online uh, and give this to people. And so, Lord, I pray that you just take uh, the verses and the words uh, this morning and use them to accomplish your perfect will. In Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter 18, uh, let me uh, look at verses uh, 39 and we'll go from 18, 39 to chapter 19, verse 7. And it says this, but you have a custom that I should release one man. And this is, this is Pilate talking, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the son of God. Okay, so Pilate has found nothing wrong with Jesus. In fact, in his eyes, Jesus is innocent. So he should have released Jesus, right? That's what legally he should have done. But he, did, he, did, he doesn't want to risk a riot, which could eventually cause him to lose his position as the governor. And so desperate to remove himself from this situation, he comes up with this plan. 
See, it was, it was custom at Passover time for uh, the Roman governor to release a Jewish prisoner. And so Pilate uh, says to the crowd, he says, listen, would you rather have me release Barabbas or Jesus? Now, in, in John's footnote here, we, we find out that Barabbas was a robber. But Matthew, in his account, calls him a notorious prisoner. And Mark and Luke actually say that Barabbas was a murderer and an insurrectionist. Okay, so, so he wasn't just this petty thief. And so Pilate is, is literally giving them an extreme, um, an extreme person to choose from when it comes to releasing Jesus or him. And he's like, okay, this is going to work out. There's no way that they're going to choose Barabbas. And yet, what do they do? What do they do? Well, in Matthew 27, verses 20 through 23, uh, we read this. It says, Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. He said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified crucified. Pilate has this great idea and yet it backfired. So he asked the crowd, well, what do I do with Jesus? And they respond, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate, he doesn't get it. He's like, why? What has he done? And so in a last desperate attempt to satisfy this religious crowd, Pilate has Jesus flogged. Now this is an injustice, right? He is punishing a man who he said is innocent. Guys, Jesus went through some major injustices for you and for me. Now, when we read he flogged him, well, what does that mean? Well, first of all, uh, when we talk about being flogged, it means to be beaten uh, with, a, with a reed or, or a leather whip. And that leather whip would be knotted with pieces of metal or glass or uh, of bones. And, 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 and so they would whip them, beat them with that. And then there were three different degrees that they would do that. Uh, in other words, um, there were different levels, like, like there was a, a more mild flogging, kind of a medium flogging, and then if we were doing hot sauce, uh, a, a spicy hot version, okay? So, uh, and, and the, the hot, the, the, the most difficult, intense beating, that was the one that they would give to people that they were going to crucify. And by what we read in Scripture here, uh, it's likely Jesus was flogged twice before he went to the cross, it's just mind-blowing, the kind of pain that he went through. Many didn't survive. Many died while they were being flogged. But they didn't just beat Jesus, did they? The soldiers made a crown of thorns, these long thorns. They twisted together. They shove it into his head, into his skull. They dressed him in a purple robe to just mock him. Oh, you're royalty. Let's put you in some royalty. Let's give you a crown. Let's, let's throw a purple robe on you. And then we read in, in Matthew's account, Matthew 27, 29 through 30, it says, And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. Does that not make you just mad? 
Doesn't that make you mad? I, I read this, and, and as I've been preparing for this, I just found myself more and more getting angry. And I don't know about you, but there's all these different emotions as well, because, uh, you know what, two, two days ago, we, we literally had a Christmas Eve gatherings where we're talking about his birth, and, and man, two days later, now here we are, and I'm preaching on the agony, the pain, the injustice that Jesus went through for you and for me. He started kneeling down before him, hail king of the Jews, just mocking the savior of the world. They slapped him. They spit on him. Then they took that reed from his hand and they just started beating him on the head with it. This is our savior, Jesus. At any point in time, could have called angels down and handled business. And yet, that's what he takes. That's what he takes for you and for me, you guys. And and he took it knowing the sin in our lives, knowing how unworthy we were, knowing that that we were going to deny him, knowing that we would turn our backs on him, knowing that we would go on this journey, on this planet, where where for some of us we would never believe, and then for others we would believe, and then we would would backslide, then we come back, and we go through this, and, and he's knowing all of this while this is happening to him. And then after this is done, Pilate brings Jesus out. This has got to work. That's what Pilate is thinking. There's no way when they see him that they're going to still want him crucified. And so he brings him out and he says again, listen, he's innocent, but here he is. And there Jesus comes out in a purple robe, bleeding from being flogged, bleeding from the head down, crown of thorns. His face is bruised. It's swollen from just being beaten. And Pilate says, here is the man. This is the man. He's, he's, this has got to satisfy their hatred for Jesus. There's no way they can look at this guy and be like, oh, crucify him now. No, this guy's he's paid for it. But once again, Pilate underestimates this crowd. When the chief priest and the officer saw Jesus after Pilate brought him out, and then Pilate says, he's innocent, but look, they're realizing that Pilate is wavering on whether to crucify him, and so they cry out, even after seeing Jesus and what Jesus looks like, they yell, crucify him, crucify him, and at that point, Pilate is absolutely disgusted, and he says, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And then the Jews responded to that, what? Well, we have a law, and by that law, he ought to die. See, what they're doing right now is is very strategic. See, they're reminding Pilate that they had already judged Jesus according to Jewish law and found him guilty and deserving of death according to their law. And, 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 and they're saying, listen, the charge uh, that we have that was made, that we've convicted him of, is that he's made himself out to be the son of God. Now, why is this strategic? Why are they playing this card on Pilate? Because Roman governors were expected to do what? They were actually expected to up 
hold the local laws of the provinces they ruled in as a represent, representative of Rome. And so he's to uphold local laws unless they conflict with Rome and Rome's agenda and Rome's laws. And so his job is to, uh, if it doesn't uh, conflict with Rome, his job is to help enforce the local laws. And so they're telling him, hey, locally, we have tried him according to our law. He's guilty, deserving of death. What are you going to do about that? And so in verses 8 through 16 of chapter 19, it says, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Now, what did he say there in verse 8? He said when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Well, what was the statement? He has made himself the son of God. See, his fear just increased dramatically. Pilate's after he heard that Jesus had claimed to be the Son of God. See, Pilate had already been impressed. He'd never met a guy like this. He'd never had a, a guy like this on trial. He's very impressed with Jesus, for, with his demeanor. Jesus was, Jesus was different. And, 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 so, and so here, now Pilate is going, wait a second. Now, now Rome, Romans and Greeks, now they had a lot of... Um, <laughs> Uh, views when it came to the afterlife, when it came to uh, the gods and gods taking on human form, gods walking the earth. Uh, they're, they're, they believed in a lot of that. And so here he is going, wait a second, is this actually uh, a God that's come to earth? He's heard the miracles. And on top of that, Pilate has this weird interaction with his wife. And as I know, my wife is much more smarter than me, so I listen. And so uh, he has this interaction with his wife in Matthew 27, 19, uh, as he's trying Jesus, listen to this. It says, besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Okay, so Pilate is sitting there like, oh, he's claimed to be the son of God. I believe that these things happen. He's done all these miracles that I've heard about. Now my wife is sending me a text saying, hey, uh, he, he's in my dream. And, and, and it's very clear, do not mess with him. Do not mess with that righteous man. 
And so Pilate pulls Jesus back into the headquarters. Pilate's a wreck. Pilate's afraid. And he says, where are you from? Now, he's not talking, hey, where did you grow up? No, he knows where, where Jesus' earthly home was. He's asking, what, where, what's your nature? Are you from earth? Where are you from? Now, Jesus doesn't respond. Jesus doesn't answer at all. Why did Jesus remain quiet there? Well, he's likely fulfilling prophecy about himself that we read about in Isaiah 53, 7. When it says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So, so uh, one reality here is he's fulfilling uh, prophecy about himself. But he's also already told Pilate he's not from this kingdom. Like he's already shared that with him. So part of him is like, why, why, why do I want to keep telling you that? I've already told you I'm not uh, from here. And then Pilate uh, becomes irritated. He's irritated. Why are you not responding to me? And so, and so Pilate decides, hey, I'm going to give Jesus this little power trip. I'm going to let him know who I am. And, uh, and, and so Pilate literally says, do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Listen, if you ever want to try and power trip God, I'm just going to tell you right now, it's not going to work. If you ever think, oh, God, you need to do this, or God, do you know why? That never works. It never works. And it doesn't work out here for Pilate. And, um, and, and here's the reality. He may have the legal right uh, to do those things. But here is what we see. He didn't have the courage to do either one of those things, did he? See, his statement to Jesus here, it doesn't demonstrate his power. You know what it demonstrated? It actually demonstrated his weakness. Guys, sometimes we may think we are demonstrating our authority or what we can do, but in, we're at, in reality, we're actually highlighting our weakness because we're sharing what we could be doing, but we're not willing to do. And we see Pilate literally thinking he's highlighting how strong, how bold, how, how, how amazing his position is, and yet it's just highlighting how weak he is. Guys, if he had the authority to release Jesus, why didn't he do it when he's already said multiple times Jesus is innocent? Jesus responds now. You'd have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. That's Jesus' response. You guys, all authority comes from God. All authority comes from God. See, Pilate didn't have ultimate control over what happened to Jesus. He didn't, okay? Uh, nothing that happens here, nothing that's going to happen, uh, including the death of Jesus, none of that is outside of the sovereignty of God. Now, here's what you and I need to hear this morning. Jesus is saying this to a political ruler who's treating him unjustly. That's what he's saying to him. 
Okay, now, so, so what does that mean for you and for me? Because Jesus is, is acknowledging this, um, and he's saying, listen, um, you may have earthly authority, but God is in complete control. There is no authority that's given outside of God's will, God's design, or God's allowance. Okay, and so, and so you need to know that. Now, he needs to know that, but you and I need to know that because we're living in a time when it's really tough for us on multiple levels to deal with anybody that's in authority over us. Amen? And we could go down the list of people, right, that are in authority over us that we have problems with. Okay? And that list just changes. It changes with, uh, with, with, um, with bosses. It changes with jobs. Uh, it, it, it changes uh, in, in relationships. It changes uh, in politics. It continually changes, but we see what? There's always people in authority over us. Now, this doesn't mean when you are treated unjustly, um, let's say you're being harassed, there's, there's an abuse of power uh, and those things. That doesn't mean you just lay down and be like, oh, well, Jesus. You know, no, um, you handle things in truth, uh, responsibly and all of that. But if you are going through something like that and you're in a season where, man, it's just tough and you're getting hit multiple levels and, and, you, and it's just, it doesn't feel like it's fair. It feels like you, we're being treated wrong. There can be peace because we're able to acknowledge and understand through the authority of Scripture that God's authority supersedes any human authority. Over and over again, we see God using even the most evil and wicked kings and people throughout Scripture to accomplish His perfect will. Right? Old to the new. That's what you see. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Jesus states that the one who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. What is he talking about? Well, uh, we believe who he's talking about here. Uh, now, he could be talking about Judas. There's multiple people he could be talking about. But it seems to make the most sense that he's talking about Caiaphas, uh, the corrupt high priest. Uh, Caiaphas knew the scriptures. He'd been given every opportunity to respond to truth, and yet he willfully hardened his heart towards Jesus, and not only hardened his heart, but he made sure that Jesus was not given a fair trial. It was his associates who were inciting the mob to cry out, crucify him, to say, hey, release Barabbas, not Jesus. And, and, and so when we look at it, let's just compare Pilate versus Caiaphas. Pilate is, uh, he's literally... Um, the spiritually blind pagan, okay? That's Pilate. Caiaphas has the knowledge of Scripture. Caiaphas is supposed to be a representative of God at the highest of levels, okay? So it's, so it's different. The level of sin here uh, that, that we see uh, is, is, is different. The depth, the, the evilness of that. And so through this interaction, Pilate, uh, we read, remained unconvinced that Jesus was guilty of anything worthy of death. And so he tried to release him, it says. Now, um, we don't know how, but in the Greek text here, it, it says he kept seeking to release him. In other words, he was trying, uh, he tried multiple things in order to release Jesus. The crowd's seen this. And so realizing that they'd still failed to convince Pilate of Jesus' guilt and afraid that the governor was going to set him free, the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. They got him. They got him. 
That's the last one. Bam. They're like, we got you. See, the Caesar at this time, he was known for just executing anybody that even had the sniff of betrayal on him. In fact, the guy that had gotten Pilate the role uh, as the governor, uh, Caesar had just had him executed, and Pilate, because of some other missteps, was already on Caesar's radar, so he's got eyes on him, and so the Jews are like, okay, here we go. This is our last, this is our last hand here. And, and what I hear here when I read this is, we're going to tell daddy on you. <laughs> See, there's no way that he, Pilate, could allow word to get back to Caesar that he had allowed a man who claimed to be king and the Jews would have portrayed him as a king in opposition to Caesar. There's no way Pilate could allow Caesar to find out that he had released someone who had openly claimed to be a king in opposition to Caesar. There's no way. He's, he'd be a dead man. And they know that. They know that Pilate doesn't have great standing before Caesar, so they play that hand. They say, listen, um, anybody who uh, is going to allow this person to be free is one that actually opposes Caesar because this king opposes him. And so he's like, I can't risk this. So at this point, he feels like he has no choice but to give in. Matthew tells us in Matthew 27, 24, and 25, it says, So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Ooh, bet you wish they, bet you they wish they hadn't said that. So Pilate brought Jesus out. He sat him down on the judgment seat. It was the day of preparation for the Passover. The time was about the sixth hour or late morning, approaching noon. And in one final sarcastic statement, Pilate taunted the Jews again, saying, Behold your king. Enraged, they cried out, away with him, crucify him. And either in continued mockery or perhaps seeking one final time to escape his dilemma, Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? See how many times he's saying your king? He does not like them and he knows that makes them upset. And in complete hypocrisy, how do the chief priests respond to him? We have no king but Caesar. Are you kidding? Really? Now you're going to pretend Caesar's your king? Pilate knows this. The pilot is trapped. Doesn't feel like he has a way out. He gives in and he hands Jesus over to be crucified. Pilate, who confessed with his own lips that Jesus had done no wrong, didn't have the moral courage to let him go because he feared the Jews. So here's the question. What are you not doing out of fear that you know you need to be doing because of truth? That's the question we gotta have in our lives. We gotta ask that today. What are you not doing out of fear that you know you need to be doing because of truth?
And then we finish our section. It says this, going into verse 17. It says, so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Jesus carrying his own cross. Now, you just got to go back, you guys. Sometimes you got to put yourself in the setting. And I know it's brutal. I, knew it's, I know it's graphic. Um, but man, sometimes we just need to, to see and to feel the intensity of something, don't we? To fully know what he went through. You know, so often I, I, I want to I soften the blow, right? And, 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 the, and the Bible is so clear. This is what Jesus went through for you and for me. And so here it is. Here's the image. Uh, Jesus is taken away. The, <laughs> the, the most um, unjust sentence you can comprehend. He's already been declared innocent, not guilty. Yet he's taken away to be crucified. And what happens? Well, he's already been flogged, crown of thorns. He's been beaten. And now he's got to carry a cross to his own execution. He's got to take whatever it was, that mile-long trek through the streets to his execution. Jesus is carrying the cross. Now, according to the other Gospels, at some point along this journey, it was given to a man named Simon of Cyrene to carry. That was a very normal thing where the person carrying the cross due to being flogged or beaten multiple times could only get to a certain point and someone else would step in and help carry the cross. Once at the execution site for a crucifixion, the prisoner was placed flat on the ground and his arms were either nailed through the hands or the wrists or tied to the crossbeam. Jesus was nailed. Then the prisoner was hoisted up and the crossbeam was attached to the vertical beam. There was a tiny platform uh, as a place for the feet. And so the feet would rest there and then the feet were nailed to the cross. Where they were tied there. And the platform was there for the feet. That platform was provided so that a person could push their body up, allowing them to breathe because the position of them resting and hanging on the cross, it didn't allow people to breathe. And so they had this little uh, spot there, this little mini platform on the cross so that they could just push up enough to breathe. Now, you read that and you go, that sounds a little bit like mercy, but, but no, it that wasn't a merciful thing. Uh, it's actually the opposite. That was done to extend the torture. To extend the torture. Because if the person couldn't get air, they would die much more quickly of asphyxiation. If they didn't have, uh, it, it, like to the point where um, it, 
you know, if, if that platform hadn't been there, they would die much quicker. And, and, and the Romans, they had perfected the art of crucifying someone. They had perfected how to uh, bring as much torture and pain on an individual as possible. And so they're like, here we go. If we add this little platform here, we can keep them alive longer. In other words, they're being tortured longer. They're in pain longer. And because of that, many people would hang on the cross for days before dying. Before dying and succumbing to the exhaustion, the dehydration, the shock, or just the, the suffocation. It was considered the most horrible, shameful form of execution, so terrible that no Roman citizen was allowed to be crucified unless it was authorized by the emperor himself. Now, John doesn't go into all the, the gruesome details. He simply just states he, that they crucified him. And then there were two others, one on either side, and this was in fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 53, 12, uh, when it says he was numbered with the transgressors. So he's still fulfilling prophecy along the way. Now, it was customary uh, for a tablet or a placard uh, not only to be tacked um, or fastened to the cross above somebody uh, stating the crime that was committed, um, but, but also uh, someone would go before the person carrying their cross with that placard, with that little sign, or they would have the person carrying their own cross. They would have them wear the sign as they're taking the cross. And so Jesus being innocent, they're like, what do we write? And Pilate says, well, let's write this, because he's still mad at the Jewish leaders. So he's, he's going to give them a parting shot. So he has them write Jesus, the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Now, the Romans usually crucified prisoners in public places. A lot of times along major highways uh, so, so that the public would be able to uh, see and, and notice and understand what the price was to be paid for messing with Rome or for challenging Rome's authority. And so uh, in order to make sure everyone that went by could see uh, this placard, this sign above Jesus, Pilate had the inscription written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek, the three languages commonly spoken in first century Palestine. Now the chief priests uh, uh, of the Jews, they, they're infuriated at this. And they said, do not write the king of the Jews, but write that he said, I am the king of the Jews. See, they wanted uh, it changed so that Jesus would appear to be an imposter. They didn't want uh, that being said up there uh, and everybody to be able to read it. No, they wanted it to be known that he's an imposter. And Pilate refuses and states, what I have written, I have written. You guys, what I see here, and, and you know, we talked a lot about Pilate this morning. What I see here is the reality that many of us wrestle with. And we've seen this throughout the book of John. We've seen it with religious leaders. We've seen it with people uh, trying to follow him. We've seen it with his own uh, disciples. And we've seen uh, this struggle. And it's the struggle of this. See, we want to please both sides, don't we? Don't we? 
We feel this pull to please uh, these people who want nothing to do with God, who are actually in opposition to God by how they live, by how they talk. And then we have these other people in our lives who, uh, if we're a Jesus follower, we're like, we lean into them. Uh, they help us. They, they grow us. Um, uh, they're, they're, the, they're the people, that, they're the iron sharpening iron friendships, right, uh, for us. And, and we want to please them as well. We want, we want to make them happy. And so here we are, uh, we find ourselves in the middle trying to please both teams. But here's the reality. When it comes to truth, you can't please both. You can't. You can't please everyone when it comes to truth. We want to. We want to be the one that's not uh, divisive or, or, or we don't want to be the one that, that literally draws a line in the sand. We want to be the one that pulls people together, right? And you guys, at the core nature, like, is that wrong to want to pull people together? No. It's great that we want to pull people into relationship. It's great that we want to maintain the relationships that we have. But there is danger when this becomes something that consumes us, when this becomes something that actually supersedes truth in your life. You can't play both teams when it comes to truth. You say, well, I can still make them happy. I can still do this. I can say this just enough. Uh, you guys, I'm going to tell you right now, holiness, if you're a Jesus follower, holiness has to trump happiness every single time. And you will be most happy when you are the most holy. Every single time. In fact, you see this played out in people whose lives, they're a struggle, they're in pain, they're in sickness, they don't have income, uh, things in their lives just keep getting worse and you go, how are you happy? Well, guess what? They're happy because they're holy. They're, they're living out their calling. They're living in obedience. They're responding to truth. And so the question is, how will we respond to truth? Will we respond with conviction to truth? Or will we try to find convenience in truth? Pilate knew what he was supposed to do. Guys, if, if you don't choose to act with conviction off of the truth that you know, you will do and become what Pilate did and what Pilate became. Because what happens here to Pilate. What happened? He ended up compromising, didn't he? On what he knew to be true. On even what he wanted to see happen. See, playing both sides doesn't get easier. It actually gets harder. And you know what? I know deep down you agree with me. How Hard is it to try and maintain playing both sides? It's exhausting. It's exhausting in your lifestyle. It's exhausting in what comes out of your mouth. It's exhausting in your relationships. And if you're a Jesus follower, you're continually living with tension because guess what? The Holy Spirit is convicting you to respond to what? To truth. The Holy Spirit is always going to lead you into truth. He's always going to lead you into what aligns with God's word. 
And so if I'm going to uh, try and cave in uh, out of convenience, out of like, I just want everybody to be happy. Listen, it's not going to work. And ultimately, you'll find yourself in the place that Pilate finds himself in uh, to where, how do I maintain this? How do I maintain my position amongst two different groups, uh, pushing me in different ways? And I know what's true. Uh, and ultimately, he what? He gives in. And ultimately, you and I will give in. Giving in to what we know ultimately is wrong in order to keep what? Peace. Compromising. So that's a challenge for us this morning. The other thing that I just want to highlight here as well, because we can't avoid it, it's all throughout these pages and all the gospel accounts, it's this. Pain. The pain that Jesus went through for you and for me. The pain was a huge part of the journey for Jesus. In fact, it was the finish to his journey, wasn't it? Now we know he resurrects, but when we think about his life, the end was the most painful. A pain that you and I can't imagine. And yet what does Jesus invite us into if we're Jesus' followers? What does he invite us into? He says, pick up your cross and follow me. Guys, all across the globe right now, there is persecution on people saying they want to follow Jesus. I was just reading about India's uh, anti-conversion laws in different uh, areas of that country. And I'm reading about persecution in all these other countries as well. And I know when, when Jesus says pick up his cross and follow him for us, oh my goodness, we're so privileged. Our, our, our greatest struggle today is snow. That's, that's, that's how nice our lives are for most of us in relation to the world and the persecution and the struggle and when we talk about picking up our cross and following him. But, but, but guys, it, it's a different challenge for us. I feel like it's, it, it's a challenge to where uh, for us that difficulty picking up the cross may be actually what we just talked about, responding to truth with conviction. Responding to truth with conviction may be the thing you and I um, are struggling to pick up and carry. And it may not be that. It may be physical pain. Oh, my goodness, we have, we've seen so uh, many physical challenges in our, in our church. And maybe it's physical pain. Maybe, I don't know what it is. It's family. It's, it's division. It's all those things. But Jesus invites us. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. And, 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 and what we see here is Jesus not give up, not give in, not lose his testimony, but maintain who he is, his presence, his witness, and his mission to the very end. And that's our calling. I pray that we can model it, reflect that, and we're going to take communion in a moment in remembrance of that. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the opportunity to talk about what Jesus went through here. Lord, thank you for showing us the interactions here, the injustices that took place in order for Jesus to go to the cross. And Lord, that, that's tough. That's stuff to work through because we want justice. We want to be treated justly. We want to see others treated justly. And yet, Lord, the Savior of the world experienced the most difficult kind of injustice I can imagine. And Lord, he went through it all for us. And so, God, right now we reflect on that. Lord, right now, if there's truth that we're not responding with conviction to, I pray that we would change 
I pray that we would be bold. I pray that we would be strong. I pray that, Lord, we wouldn't find our strength in a position, but, Lord, we would find our strength coming from a place of resting on you. You're so faithful. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take communion here. And things are different uh, today. We don't have worship. But right now, um, I'm going to take communion. And if you have the elements uh, in your house right now, just grab those. And uh, I can't think of a more appropriate time as we've talked about the agony, the pain that Jesus went through. And so I take this out in remembrance of his body. We just talked about his body, what his body went through for you and for me. Let me pray for this and then let's take it. God, we thank you for what you sacrificed physically for us, what your body went through. I know my body couldn't take it. And Lord, you went through that for us. So we thank you for that. And we remember that. In Jesus' name, amen. We get to have the juice here representing his blood, his blood that was spilled for you and for me, his blood that covered the price of our sin. Man, don't be, don't be taking this without dealing with your sin. He tells us to deal with it before we take it. And you think about the blood that was spilled on your and my behalf. If there's things that need to be made right, make them right. If there's people that you need to talk to, talk to them. But man, you can't read that and, and just take this, right? It hits. So let's thank him. God, thank you for willfully spilling your blood. It was innocent blood. It had to be. And you knew it had to be you. So Lord, thank you. We remember you and we celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen. God is so good. He loves you. If you've never made a decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to do that. Declare him as Lord and Savior. It's still, we're still in that Christmas season. You know, Jesus came and did that to create a way for salvation, just as I preached on two nights ago so that he could freely offer grace, forgiveness, mercy, redemption to you and for me. So if you've never made a decision to receive him as Lord and Savior, do that. And guys, if, if you're not living and basing your life off of truth, get back to that, please. Let that conviction lead you into a greater love and a greater peace because your relationship with Jesus will be where it needs to be, okay? Um, before I dismiss us, uh, you can also, you know, it's end of your time. You can also uh, give uh, financially and, and continue to help support what God is doing uh, here. And you can do that through um, dropping that off at our office, mailing it to our office. Uh, or online, there is an opportunity there to give. And you can go through uh, that and give as well. And we just say thank you. Thank you for uh, just giving, what a, what a year, huh? And here we are having this right now. But what a year. But God is so faithful, isn't he? So faithful.
So we thank you for that. We thank you for your partnership in doing what God has called us to do. And we know uh, he's just getting started. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Enjoy the snow.